look at our passage today in 1 Peter 3 as we look at a very important section, but also a very common section of Scripture that has to do with first husbands. Uh, Let me just read it to you, and then we'll begin. It says in 1 Peter 3, verse 7, You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker vessel, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Now, this morning, like I said, we are continuing our study in 1 Peter by taking a moment just to look at the next verse in the section that we have, because we wanted to hesitate from preaching this last time I spoke because the men and boys were away on on retreat. And so if you remember, I went to Titus 2 and spoke to the ladies instead. But now we're back, or at least some of us are. Some of us are on vacation. Maybe there's never a good time to preach this particular passage. (laughs) Men are keeping away for a reason. But I'm sure it was the right thing to do because, again, this whole issue of husbands and understanding their wives, I could do a series on this. And in fact, maybe one day I will do a series on that. Uh, I'm not ready at this moment to do it. But a series on marriage in general is very, very important no matter where you are in your life, especially during this whole COVID pandemic where people were getting um, noticed all the time for their marriages dissolving. It was really, really sad. Something about staying at home for a long period of time with one another and exposed to some of the not-so-pretty aspects of each other uh, really made people not be able to ignore issues any longer. And so some marriages have imploded. Uh, Some have become stronger, but many, most unfortunately, sadly, have been weakened by this strange kind of daily arguments about mandates and masks and uh, to the point where everybody turns upside down. Now, there are marriages, and I've dealt with many of them, that are using the word divorce. There are marriages, toss around that D word very casually as if it was uh, something that's common. There's a sense of a cynicism in marriage, a disrespect, a, a pain at really profound levels Uh, disappointment literally dominates some couples every waking moment. In fact, I would say that for every strong marriage that I encounter through my counseling, there must be at least five that are struggling. People have become almost cavalier in being heartbroken, almost become cavalier in being disillusioned, have kind of a numb sort of acceptance that happens to them. Their marriages are never going to change, and they've kind of settled into this permanent residence on a daily issue. In the 2000s, I spent three years working as a singles pastor here at Grace Church with older singles that struggled a lot because they always wondered why God had not provided for them a marriage partner. But nothing, in my experience, nothing that I've ever experienced has been as crushing and as profound as the sense of disappointment that comes from two people who are married that wish they had never said, I do. There is much that I want to say on this. And again, each and every marriage is different, but I have seen and been exposed to broken hearts. And every time it breaks their hearts, it breaks mine as well. So if we ever did do a series on marriage, I would have to investigate some of the depth of this because to be open and honest with you, no matter where you are in your life, uh, there is a struggle and there is a way to find your path back home but there has to be a lot of work that happens. And some of that work is going to be with the husbands as we're going to focus on today. And I might add this, a focus on marriage 
would really be a wonderful opportunity for us as a fellowship group. For those who, by the grace of God, are experiencing joy and peace and satisfaction in their marriages to share the wealth a little bit with everybody else here because we would like to be the benefactors of the, of the grace that God has bestowed on you as we talk about these things and issues in marriage. But it also gives those who are doing well in marriage an opportunity to minister to those that aren't, an opportunity to come alongside those that are struggling, the, the mature ones and the godly ones with the ones that are really very tender and very delicate, and to try to have all that kind of collective wisdom come together and be maximized so that the issue of marriage is something that we openly talk about. Anyway, all that to say, first and foremost, I come to you with just this centralized focus on marriage today, because as you saw last time that I spoke here out of 1 Peter, we dealt with wives who were to be submissive to their unbelieving husbands, and now we're dealing with husbands in terms of understanding their wives. So we need to focus on marriage. It seems as if that's God's intention in this. We need to focus, I need to focus on it, because as a fellowship group, Uh, we should have some concentrated time to think about issues that the text will bring up for us. And for those of you that are here that are unmarried uh, or single or unequally yoked, uh, let me just say that you're going to find that all the things that are biblical, all the things that relate to how men and women are to interact with one another in Scripture is going to be very applicable to you Uh, no matter what station of life that you're in, because again, the scripture speaks to exactly our need at every time. So most, the biggest reason I think that most people are in a bad boat, if you will, in their marriages is because they weren't very hip to some of the issues that needed to be presented to them biblically before they even got married. Many people enter into marriage without understanding some of just the issues we're going to cover today, uh, just for the men specifically, And then they get into a marriage, and these things are very, very hard to undo once the egg has been scrambled. There's another reason why I want to start with this kind of focus on marriage, and that is because I love marriage. I love being married. Uh, I I love what it pictures. I love what it offers. I love how it's shaped me and my wife. I love knowing what God desires in marriage. I love knowing that there is joy and meaning, and hope, and satisfaction. And I want to have that in marriage because that's how God has built marriage, to be for our enjoyment. And he's given marriage to us as a mirror, a mirror to us and a monitor and a means by which we can grow closer to our Savior and closer to one another as well. Um, My dear wife is not here today because she's not well, but I love my marriage. Uh, I I love my marriage partner, Lori, Um, and though we're imperfectly pursuing the goal of marriage before us for 23 years now, I want you all to have the same joy and honestly fun that we have in our marriage. Um, And that depth of meaning that I pray comes from what I'm going to speak on today. So I want you to know, I want you to have the right kind of struggles. I want you to have the right kind of disappointments. There are disappointments in marriage. There are struggles. There, are, there is pain. But it's the right kind of pain for the right kind of growth that leads you into what it is that God wants and what the direction should be for life. Hey, I say that just so you know, all struggles in marriage, whether biblical marriages or not, are used by God for our sanctification. True? Even the good, bad, and the ugly, if you're a believer, is used for your sanctification. 
But like the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, there are some areas of life that I know are going to cause you pain, and I don't want you to have pain. I don't want it to be an obstacle in your marriage unless it has to be there. It's what the Apostle's sentiment was. And so we're going to unpack this a little bit. Just thinking of you guys reminds me that I officiated your wedding. And how, long, and how many days has it been now, Noble? 1,129 days. No one else could do that except you. Uh, we talk in years, he thinks in days, and I'm sure you could break it down into seconds too if I ask you. There's another reason I want to focus on marriage right now, and that is because it flows from my desire for you and to love the Word of God and to understand the Word of God deeply because if we were going to do a series on marriage, I would call it Marriage by the Book because we do want to live and have our being and design our marriages by the book, the Word of God, because we want Scripture to guide every aspect of our life. Now, if you haven't been with us before, we've been in 1 Peter over a year now, even though it's been hit and miss over the months. And many times, I know when we're in 1 Peter, we don't always see the tangible kind of application that's driven from doctrine all the time. Sometimes you might come away thinking, what did the deity of Christ and knowing that doctrine or sanctification help me immediately in my day-to-day life in the now? But that would be a wrong perception because you can always get application from the Word of God, but especially once we got to chapter 2 and 3, and specifically chapter 3 in this book, there is direct application in marriage. There is direct application that I thought would be a good opportunity just to kind of capitalize on this theme and take some time exploring what we have learned thus far from Peter and how it can deeply affect the way we live on this earth. So I want you to see how the message of this book specifically, 1 Peter, is bringing God's glory before a watching world. That is one of its themes, to bring God glory to a watching world by the way you live your life, by the way you are before unbelievers in this world. And what he's crying out for us to do as we start to back our way into chapter 3 here is regardless of the difficult circumstances that you might find yourself in, regardless of what your life is like inside your marriage or outside your marriage, you and I have been called by God to honor him by the way we treat each other in marriage. We're to treat each other with an understanding and a respect and a picture and a parable of what it is that marriage Entails. So we begin our study first by looking at the next verse Peter presents to us here in chapter 3, which acts as our first subject in this little lesson today. And I call it just understanding husbands. Understanding husbands. And I get that because in verse 7 it says, You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker vessel, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Now, I put that very purposely in that statement to make it uh, clear that there's two different ways you can have this meaning, understanding husbands, to be grasped, because I want to draw the fact that you could take it a couple ways depending on your gender. The first, if you're a man, of course, is the way Peter means it, which is we are to be uh, going and looking at husbands and the way that they need to understand their wives. They need to understand their wives. They need to be understanding to their wives. One author said, a foolish man tells a woman to stop talking, but a wise man tells her that her mouth is extremely beautiful when her lips are closed. 
You, you need to learn these things, men. How to do it in such a way that there's tact and, and understanding. But there's also another way that you could look at this, and that is if you're a female who longs to be understood, why her husband doesn't understand her. I want an understanding husband. Let me give you a little example of what I mean by this. This is an article that was written by an unbelieving lady. I'm not going to give you the whole thing, but just to set up the need. Where to start? She says, okay, so my husband and I have been married for a little over a year now, but we've only been living together since he came back from deployment in December. We've been best friends for seven years now. We started dating a couple years ago when he came home to leave. It seemed perfect. He knows me better than anyone, or so I thought. The plan was that I'd move to California to be with him as soon as he got home. I would stay at home and be a mom for three year, with our three-year-old daughter from a previous marriage, and we would start trying for another baby immediately. We both agreed that it would be, take on a lot, and it'd be a huge adjustment for us both, but we wanted to do it. Now, she writes, five months later, I got pregnant a week after moving out. Things have been downhill from there. He doesn't understand how hard this pregnancy has been on me. He doesn't understand that I wake up, clean the house, do laundry, take care of my daughter, and make dinner every day before he gets home. He doesn't understand I'm so tired and sick of all the time, and my back is killing me. It makes, takes everything in me to do these things. It still is not good enough for him. He thinks that I should be going back to school, at least online, yada, yada, yada. He doesn't understand. And then to skip to this part, she says, I understand that I've been very hard to deal with at times to the point where every little conversation turns into an argument. He avoids me. He won't even touch me anymore. I don't know what to do anymore. I feel so alone. I feel like he resents me because he can't go and do what he wants anymore. Help me. He's so negative. What can I do to help us move on and start understanding each other? This comes from a woman who's not a believer. She doesn't claim to be a believer, but the truth is there still nonetheless. The issues that are being dealt with are very similar both outside of the church and inside of the church, quite frankly, because people are people. Everywhere you go, there you are. She asked this question, how do I get my husband to understand me? And it's a very, very interesting question. And that's the key word even in our text. We're going to look at what Peter says here from verse 7. Literally in the Greek, when he says understand, it's kata nosen, meaning according to knowledge, according to knowledge. I want husbands uh, understand or according to knowledge your wife. In, in other words, gentlemen, you need to know some very vital pieces of information to be able to live in an understanding way with your wife and in such a way that would honor God and also bring an unbelieving world who is watching your marriage to Christ. Now, what knowledge is Peter referring to? What must you understand according to understanding to live with this gift of God, this prized possession of Christ that lives with you? We're going to take, if you're taking notes, three areas of importance for the Christian husband must understand. Three areas of importance that the Christian husband must understand before you can truly say that you are a man before God in respect to your marriage. Three areas of importance and we're going to go over these pretty briefly. Now, for today, three areas of vital importance for the Christian husbands to understand. And the first is, number one, know God's ways. Very simple, know God's ways. This notion, this knowledge, uh, agnostic is where we would get a word with agnostic. This knowledge 
This knowledge can be anything from the whole of life, but specifically, you have to start with the husband's knowledge of Christian principles. You have to begin first before you can live with your wife in an understanding way that you understand God's ways. You have to understand what God has to say about marriage. You have to know what God expects and that he expects must be more important to you than your own life and your own preferences and your own pleasure. Let me say that again because I've said this to men before and they do not believe me. They think I'm overstating the principle. I remember one time Pastor John had a little statement on the internet and people were throwing rocks at it and his statement was something to the effect of, you can judge the the excellence of your Christian faith by the way your marriage looks. You you can judge the way that your Christian faith is working or not working by the way you respond to your marriage. So let me repeat this again. You have to know what God expects and what he expects must be more important to you than your own life, than your own preferences and your own pleasures. So the entire theme of 1 Peter, if we go back to the beginning, is righteous submission, right, in the face of persecution and difficult circumstances. That's what he's been teaching us. The entire theme is righteous submission in the face of difficult circumstances. And these men, we can safely assume that he's writing to, who Peter addresses as husbands, they didn't have all the information at the time of the writing, just so you know. The New Testament was being written during this time. The very reception of this letter from Peter into the hands of the church, they had just placed their faith in Jesus Christ. They had repented of their sins, but their obedience was based on uh, biblical information that were largely holes in their understanding. Otherwise, they were hugely affected by the culture. So here are men freshly saved, uh, suffering from God in Asia Minor, having the word of God being brought to them bit by bit as the reception of progressive revelation happened. And here they are living in a culture that had very opposite ideas about marriage. Without knowing God's ways about marriage and what God thinks about marriage, even a Christian can be tempted to adopt the culture's ways. Even a Christian can be seduced into thinking that is what is ordinary for the world is what's ordinary for the people of God as well. We see that today, I think, what some would call the Bible Belt. I'm from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Some of you know that. I lived in the Bible Belt most of my life before I came here to California. Good folks, Bible-believing for the most part. I'd say Christian folks in the sense that they heard the gospel and they believed, but massively confused, a massively confused people, group of people there as to how their life should look in the workplace, in their marriage, largely because their understanding of Americanism has dwarfed their understanding of the Bible. They, they don't really know their Bibles enough to know what it is that they should be expected to do, and therefore the American kind of consumerism is what takes them over. And I mean that when you listen just to country music. I mean, again, that's the Midwest. I mean, one of their lyrics, I heard this. This is their chorus. God is great, beer is good, and people are crazy. How does that work out? If God is great, beer is good? So, you know, this is the kind of Armenian kind of thinking that runs through a lot of the Midwest. How do those things connect? Because knowing God's ways demands that you detach yourself from the culture. You can't have God being great and beer being good. You have to demand it that the culture has somehow not you know, kind of overrun or, or, or uh, submerged yourself into 
uh, um, uh, anti-God culture because you haven't immersed yourself into the Word of God. So when Peter wrote this little letter, it was not uncommon for the Greek men of the day to have, get this, concubines. Not uncommon. Uh, A man would have a concubine, therefore a wife's role was basically just consisting of bearing children and doing housework. One Athenian orator was noted as saying this, we have uh, concubines for the sake of daily cohabitation. We have wives for the purpose of having children legitimately and of faithful guardians for all of our household affairs. That's how a Roman would look at his life. The Romans viewed marriage as basically legalized prostitution. And so while the Jews treated women much like slaves and divorced them at their whim, that was not the way it was to be with the Christian. So Peter writes to husbands saying, how you live with your wives, how you live with your wives must be in accordance with knowledge. You must have understanding. And first and foremost, you have to understand God's ways, how God sees marriage, how God sees sin, how God sees salvation, how God sees sanctification and everything else that honors him. So can this really be a part of what men are to understand to live biblically with a wife? Is this what it is that we are to understand, the the group of categories that I just listed? Well, to live life biblically first, and I think I can agree, you will agree with me, to, to live life biblically, you have to know the Bible, right? I mean, to live life biblically, to know exactly what it is that God demands, you have to read the Bible. You have to more than just read it. You have to love it. You have to let it affect you. You have to let it leak out in your life in every area of your life. But I believe most compelling example of this is in the end of verse 7, back to 1 Peter 3. And this is powerful, so that your prayers will not be hindered. You need to live with your wife in an understanding way. And even if you didn't understand the Bible at this point, know this, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Literally, it's a word in corto that used to describe the impeding of someone breaking up a road. Uh, so to stop something, to, to, again, not allow it, meaning God allows rocky blocks to obstruct your prayers, gentlemen, and he refuses to listen to the prayers of a Christian man who is not living rightly with his wife. Listen to me. You know the, t- you know the times that you're on your knees praying, and you're begging God, and you're pleading with God because your situation, and you know it very well at work, is horrible because you're so concerned about your children or their salvation and and the way they're progressing, and you're crying and crying out to God, and yet nothing changes. Reminds me of what we just learned in the main service. Nothing changes. Listen, let me ask you a question. As you're on your knees praying for that raise and praying for your health, or how are you treating your wife? How are you treating your wife? Because are you ready, if you have the Bible, and you're always trying to memorize more and more of the Bible and making sure people understand or impressed with your biblical knowledge, but you put her down, and you get angry at her, and you marginalize her, then will your prayers truly be answered? If you're memorizing Scripture, meeting with men over coffee and prayer, but you treat your wife with disdain, then it is very likely that all of your problems, all of your issues, all of your inexplicable hardships that are happening to you are because God has shut his ears to your cries. He doesn't listen to you any longer. 
Why? He has turned his head away from you because you refuse to know his ways. And the way that you treat your woman, the one that he promised to you, the one that promised to love you and you promised to love, has deteriorated. So it's just like in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, you can't crave the word of God, it says in 1 Peter 2, 1, to, until you put away all those behaviors, if you remember when we studied that, that are separating you from knowing God's primary intent. So we go instead to God to help us with that woman that's afflicting us, but God's not going to listen until you change, gentlemen. You might sit there and go to God, change that man excuse me, change that woman. But God said, I'm waiting for you to change. And that's when I'll start to hear your prayers. So don't wonder why your life is the way it is without looking to what God says about your wife first. Look at your life. Look at your home. Look at what's going on between you and her. And then make the assessment if God is hearing your prayers. So first, know God's ways. Number two, and we're moving quickly the next area of importance that a Christian husband must understand is, number one, not only knowing God's ways, but number two, know women's ways. Know women's ways. In other words, commit yourself to understanding women. This will be a short point for obvious reasons. Uh, <laughs> briefly. Um, Sean Connery, the actor, once said, I like women. I don't understand women, but I like them. <laughs> It's true. Most men have not, will not, and do not understand the opposite sex. It's just the way it is. Uh, But if we are to be understanding of our wives, we first need to start somewhere, which is to understand women. And again, this is not going to be comprehensive, but I'm just putting it out there for you. Let's look at some of the general needs of most women. And men, if you're surprised by this, then I'm surprised. Uh, First, affection. Affection. Most women Affection symbolizes security and protection and comfort and approval. So when you show your wife affection, uh, she hears the message, oh, you're going to protect me. I'm concerned for you about the problems you face. I, I am with you. You've done a good job, and so I'm proud of you. And she knows that by the way you express your affection. And so, guys, just have to remember, it's not just while you were dating, and then when you get married, it's like, uh, well, I I did everything I could, and now you said yes, and so we're moving on from there. It has to be you hug, and it's not just a kiss. It's cards and flowers and dinners out and opening the car door and holding hands and rubbing backs and and little thousand ways to say I love you. But from a woman's point of view, it's essential. It's essential that you do that. What's the old story about a guy who says, uh, she says, you never tell me that you love me. And he said, well, I told you I loved you on the day we got married. If I change my mind, I'll let you know. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's, that's bad. Um, <laughs> number two, guys, you just got to need to know women like conversation. <laughs> women like conversation, right? Uh, and if, if you're anything, what I've learned in life or anything like me, conversation is not you talking. <laughs> it's you listening. <laughs> I'm just saying, it's listening. I have a very, uh, listen, Lori is great, but I mean, and it takes two to tango, but I listen a lot because every time I try to offer some kind of excellent advice in some particular thing, it's as if she doesn't hear it. It's as if when I offer the advice, that's not what she needed. She needed to just be heard. 
And so my conversation with my wife is um, not after the wedding, being quiet forever, but listening and talking and spending time to be heard. I, I said this all the time, but I'll, you, know, you guys, I've only been with you a few years now, but when uh, we first got married, uh, there was just an issue with um, me coming home kind of, you know, just resisting, resisting uh, wanting to have conversation because I'm hungry. And so if uh, I just kind of do a beeline for the refrigerator if something wasn't ready already. So I, I finally found out for $2, I could save my marriage by going to Del Taco <laughs> and getting two tacos, one for a dollar each. And once I had that in my stomach and I came in, all of a sudden I could listen, I could wait, I could converse. $2 a day saves your marriage. Also, you need to be open and honest. So this is just about understanding women. A wife needs her husband to be trustworthy, and you need him to be honest. So a sense of security is the common thread woven through all basic needs of all people, but women specifically. So to feel secure, she has to trust her husband to give her accurate information about his past, present, and future. I'm not going to get into details. All I'd say is be open, be transparent and open. Also, you have to know financial commitment is very, very important. She needs enough money to be able to live comfortably, even if she has her own career. She needs to know that you can provide for her. And then she needs to know that you're going to be a committed family man, a father, not just a husband, but a father too if you have children. Above all, wives want their husbands to take the leadership role in the family. Listen, I've, I've, probably every conversation I've ever had in counseling has always gone around this issue of he doesn't lead, to which, of course, he will say, well, she doesn't let me. But, but she, he doesn't lead. He doesn't lead us in quiet times, in, in spiritual conversations. He doesn't lead us in prayer. That is what a woman wants and what he needs. And I know that's not very profound. It's like, wow, but it's important. Nonetheless, men must strive to understand what women need to become effective husbands. So if a Christian man, a Christian husband is ever going to be understanding, you've got to know first God's ways, and then number two, know woman's ways. Now, number three, the third thing that's going to be very short, is you've got to know your wife's ways. So that's different than just knowing women's ways. You've got to know your wife's ways. So know God's ways, know how women are, and then thirdly, know your wife's ways. Famous author, mystery author, Agatha Christie has said, an archaeologist is the best husband a woman can have. The older she gets, the more interested he is in her. <laughs> the sad truth is we stop. The sad truth is we stop, and we don't take the time to really treasure the person we're living with. We don't really take the time to act as if there's more to know. We kind of act the opposite as if everything we ever needed to know about that woman was investigated at the beginning, like a car you purchased, you know. You made sure that everything was right, and then you have to do nothing else but just keep it maintained by some maintenance. You leave the operation manual in the glove compartment. But that can't be how it is with marriage. Marriage revolves around understanding your wife, to study your wife, to be an expert about your wife. Uh, I'll give you some hints. How to know your wife better. And some of this is taken from Stuart Scott uh, in his book about marriage, The Excellent Husband. Observe her. First of all, just observe her. I don't know if this happens a lot. Sometimes you miss each other. Look, listen, and learn. 
Look, listen, and learn. You can learn a great deal just by being aware of her as a person. And I'll have to tell you, um, and I wish Lori was here, uh, she's more beautiful now than she ever was. Uh, it's not me just saying that so I can, you know, get a better lasagna. It is, it is <laughs> truthful. And sometimes I just, like, look at her, and I think, like, wow, I mean, she's beautiful. Not just on the outside, but definitely on the outside, but just the whole thing. And I just, it's like I'm learning more and more about her. Ask her questions. This is something that I have counseled people on forever. Ask her questions. Don't pester her with a list of questions, but really try to get information out. And the reason I say that is because sometimes men, I think everybody can, but specifically men, don't be, they're not curious anymore. They're, they're not curious about really one. The reason you don't ask questions is because you don't really have any curiosity, as opposed to really try to find out about her. Really try to, and you think, find out about her. I've been married, like I said, 23 years. You know, I know everything there is to know. Oh, no, you don't. Because it, remember, you're changing and they change. They change just like you change. And so if you think, well, she's up to date on you, no, you're not up to date on her. Also, try to experience her world. Try to, try to walk a mile in her shoes. And sometimes that's by just taking some of her responsibilities and doing it yourself, trying to empathize with her. And again, I know I'm on this lasagna train right now, but uh, last night, just even making that lasagna with her, she was the main chef. I just kind of, you know, did the cheese thing. That's why I got a Band-Aid. <laughs> so I was trying to grade the cheese, uh, doing it really well, but, you know, uh, didn't, didn't look for everything. Uh, but it would start to help me to connect to her responsibilities and what she does in the kitchen, all the things that I, that I don't do. So you can ask her questions. I have, I have counseled people also when I go back. Um, in fact, I don't think they're in this room, but um, where the guy said, you know, she just never, she never talks. She never talks to me. And I said, really? And I said, okay, let's go out to dinner. Me and my wife and then went out to dinner. And so I started asking her questions. So what's your favorite flower? And I just started to ask a bunch of things. And that lady talked all night long. And, and I told him, I said, she talks. You're just not asking any questions. You're not asking her about anything, so she doesn't have anything to say. That's part of leadership. That's part of being a man who understands his wife. And here's some areas you can make observations. You can ask about her likes, her dislikes, her joys, her challenges, her fears, her temptations, uh, what communicates love to her? What communicates indifference to her? So you need to know that this woman that you have been given by God, is, he's, he's asking questions. Now, ask her questions after I preach, not, not while I'm preaching. Yeah, he, he's trying to get it on the ball there. You know, trying to, I mean, I, I appreciate the incentive, but you, know, uh, you can show honor to her and you can focus on her in a way that glorifies God. Well, this is just briefly scratching the surface, and I know that um, my sermon wasn't going to take that long today, and I actually have, like, many more minutes, but we'll get out early and go to Del Taco, and uh, <laughs> two bucks. Uh, but I want to end with this. This is Martin Lloyd-Jones, what he wrote to his wife, never knowing that his, well, this would be uh, put into publication in a book called The Christian Lover. He says, I could speak for a long time on this subject about how really funny you are. I have told you many, many times, the passing of the years does nothing but deepen and intensify my love for you. When I think of those days in London in 1925 and 26, when I thought that no greater love was possible, 
I could laugh. But honestly, during this last year, I have come to believe that it was not possible for a man to love his wife more than I loved you. And yet I see that there is no end to love and that it is still true that absence makes the heart grow fonder. I am quite certain that there is no lover anywhere writing to his girl who is quite as mad about her as I am. That's an expression. He's not mad. He's, he's mad about her. Indeed, I pity those lovers who are not married. Well, I had better put a curb on things or I shall spend the night writing to you without a word of news. Ever yours, Martin. We could use a little bit more of that. We could use a little bit more of that in all of our marriages. And gentlemen, you are to be an understanding husband. Know that your prayers will be hindered. God takes seriously a man who doesn't treat his wife in an understanding way. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this brief time and thank you just for the holidays and what we've had even yesterday with Christmas and really remembering all the many blessings of family and friends that you have granted to us. But thank you for a moment that we could stop and think even ever so lightheartedly about the fact that we need the men who are Christian men in this room need to love our wives and need to love them in a way where we understand them. They're precious to us. They are, as your word says, a weaker vessel but that weakness is to be our incentive to treat them with care, to be delicate with them, to trust them as our helpmate that we so desperately need and to express the love that we have for their help in very, very gracious and tangible ways. Lord, I just pray that even if we never do a series on marriage, I pray that this would spark some interest in the marriages that are here or the marriages that are going to happen so that they might be prepared even in a better way for the future and to honor you as Peter so obviously wants us to do. That's our desire as well, Father. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, the next time I preach, just so you know, if you look at, and I I will have more time to prepare, but you're going to see here, it says, now to sum up, all of you be like-minded in verse 8. That's also going to tie into this understanding of both the man and the woman, the husband and the wife. So, we're going to have a little bit of what I'm going to, I'm going to call my next message, home improvement. Home improvement. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.